machine learning and artificial intelligence are coming and it's really just a matter of how they will be applied uh we're seeing on the on the professional side starting with areas like compliance risk management investment selection also including uh different types of uh, investment strategies asset management a wide range of areas are going to be affected by machine learning and artificial intelligence Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast about finance, accounting, technology, and entrepreneurship. We apply our decades worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally. In this ever-evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success a podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. Hello, everyone. Today, we will be hearing from a very special guest, Rob. He is a contributing writer at Barron's Advisors, which covers the RIA business, incorporates market news, analysis, and research from Barron's. He's also the U.S. correspondent for Family Wealth Report, a leading website covering the family office and ultra high net worth market. He's an experienced reporter who's written for the New York Times, Washington Post, and Reuters, and he co-authored the book Madness, the top 10 most memorable NCAA basketball finals. Rob, I think we could do a full episode on college basketball alone, uh, but I think we'll stick to mostly wealth management and M&A here. I know I'm interested to hear about some of the, the M&A activity from firms like CI Financial, who, uh, who are just gangbusters here in the space. So, you know, without further ado, uh, let's welcome our guest, Charles Paycart. Charles, how are you doing today? Oh, very good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thrilled to have you on, Charles. And, and like we do on a lot of our podcasts, we'd love to just kind of start off to hear about your background and your current work with Barron Advisor and the, and the Family Wealth Report and kind of what brought you to this point today and, and what's your what's your real interest in, in what's going out there in the world? Well, I've been, um, yeah, I've been a reporter for most of my professional career. Uh, I developed an interest in business reporting and I've covered retail, the entertainment business, the cable television business, <laughs> and I found my way into covering the financial advisory business. And I've been doing that for the last 15 years, and I enjoy it. Uh, it's an interesting, fast-paced uh, area. It affects people's lives. Uh, usually in a good way. Uh, the people who are involved are smart people. And for the most part, they want to help people. Uh, so it's a good combination. And um, I've been doing uh, M&A coverage in particular uh, 
over the last uh, you know, most most of those 15 years. And that's also been very fortuitous for me because it's uh, one of the most explosive parts of the industry. It's um, uh, going gangbusters and there's always always something new. So uh, I've been I've been very lucky. Yeah, let's kind of dive right in here, Charles. Uh, you know, you, you just wrote an article, sellers are sitting pretty in a bull market for RIAs. Here's why. Can you kind of touch on uh, that article and, you know, summarize, you know, the parts of that, why sellers are currently at such an advantageous position? It's a seller's market. Uh, the, the basic reason is... Uh, most one of the most fundamental reasons in economics, supply and demand. <laughs> uh, there is great demand and uh, relatively limited supply. So as a result, uh, valuations are soaring. Uh, and they have gone up uh, exponentially is maybe a bit exaggerated, but a lot uh, since I've been covering the industry. Uh, in the article, uh, someone said that uh, if you can't get at least a multiple of 10 times adjusted EBITDA for a RIA with, let's say, around 500 million in assets under management, something is wrong. And just two years ago, that valuation would have been about 30% less. So it's, wow. it's it really is going up. Uh, deal terms are favorable for sellers. Uh, buyers are now willing to pay uh, 80 to 90% of the purchase price in cash at closing and uh, pay off the balance in two to three years. And as one of uh, the analysts said, that's very seller favorable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the back office. Uh, operation of the sellers and now has more value, the better tech they have, mm -hmm. uh, the better uh, price they can get often. And it is a uh, very, very, very good time to be a seller. One of the other things is geography matters less. If uh, you're in a hot market, that's always good. You know, Texas and Florida are good mm -hmm. examples right now, but with the rise of virtual advice and people being able to do stuff from anywhere, geography uh, matters less. And because uh, the RAA business remains a very, very good business, uh, again, it attracts buyers and sellers have a very good product to sell. And speaking of, of uh, buyers and sellers, I mentioned this at the top of the podcast, and we said gangbusters. You know, this CI Financial, uh, who has, I believe, $320 billion in, in AUM, I think half, like a little over half of that's in, in wealth management. Um, you know, can you kind of talk about what they're, you know, they've kind of come on the scene here and, and you know, what they're doing in the U.S. market, Charles? They have been, in my opinion, the biggest story in the M&A space for RIAs in the last two years. Uh, they have literally come out of nowhere. They were 
or are certainly a, a very big company. It's not as if they were unknown, but they were a big company in Canada. So they are a big uh, asset manager in Canada. And, uh, you know, like, like you said, a hundred, hundreds of billions of dollars in AUM. And in two years, they have made over two dozen deals. Wow. Approximately, in fact, not approximately, I believe it is, 26 deals in uh, 20, around 22 months. So just incredible. Uh, they are uh, buying big firms. They're buying good firms. They're paying premium prices. You know, they would maybe dispute that a little, but not really because they are. And, you know, they want to get in. So they've got the money. Uh, money is cheap. They happen to have a lot of money themselves, but to borrow money, which they certainly are uh, because of low interest rates, you know, money is very, very cheap now. So that, that helps them. Uh, and uh, they are uh, buying at a record pace. I don't think there's ever been anything like this before in the history of RIAs. They're doing it without private equity, which everyone else is doing it with private equity, which we can get into later. And uh, coming again from zero, they now have almost $100 billion in their wealth management holdings as of now. It's just absolutely phenomenal. You know, um, in um, in seeing the obviously the headlines of the M and A and and with talking with smaller firms and mid-sized firms, um, you know it's really interesting. And you brought up private equity that obviously the larger deals are probably you know in in higher demand, uh, you know because leverage is easier to be able to get. And, but you know we're starting to see to see that demand creep down into smaller firms. Uh, which has historically not been a huge, uh, huge case there. And it's making for some really wild dynamics between aggregators versus private equity backed versus, you know, what we try to do, which is more kind of like-sized mergers of non-aggregators. You know, we're, tr we're, tr we're trying to raise the anti-aggregator tribe uh, to be able to compete. Can you maybe talk about some of those different dynamics that you're yeah. seeing from the buyer well, I'm sorry, you brought up a great point, Rob, because um, you're right. On the one hand, you've got the aggregators and they are pretty much the same as they are backed by private equity. So it's not as if they're different. They're two different uh, groups. Private equity is backing the big aggregators and the other group is firms like yourself, the sort of the one-to-one peer. You were, you know, we know you, you're across town, you know, we know each other, we're a good fit, we have the same mindset, all that kind of stuff. It may even be different cities, of course, uh, but certainly that is a, a tried and true combination. However, <laughs> In the third quarter uh, of this year, 
70% of the deals were done by the big aggregators, the big acquirers. And again, they are backed by private equity. So just to run down the list of some of the big ones, uh, the, the biggest really, uh, Mercer, Global Advisors, backed by Oak Hill and Genstar Capital. They already bought about seven firms. Focus Financial uh, is one of the few big RIAs uh, that have gone public, but they also still have private equity backing, Stone Point. They've bought at least 10 firms so far. Uh, WEG, Wealth Enhancement Group, also backed by private equity. They've, I think, made over a dozen uh, acquisitions so far. One of the big stories of the year to date, just recently, uh, has been Beacon Point. Mm -hmm. uh, they uh, have now, they share 50% of their uh, of the shares with KKR. KKR just came in, a very big private equity firm, very well known. And in the RIA space, they were known uh, because they took a big early stake in Focus uh, and cashed out after Focus went public. So they're, that, that was huge. Uh, KKR getting into Beacon Point, uh, Cap Trust, uh, also big buyer, PE backed Mariner took a PE partner mm -hmm. this this summer, uh, which was big news because they had always stayed away from it. Hightower has been backed by private equity for a while. TH Lee Partners. So those are really the biggest buyers. I may have left out one or two, but they're the big ones, and they're all backed by PE. So there's a lot of money floating yeah. around. Can you talk about uh, private equity's attraction to a, to an RIA? Uh, you know, trying to get back that three times multiple, Charles, and then also maybe touch on you know how this can be enticing to the seller, maybe taking equity on, on a tax deferred basis um, you know, with these private equity firms. Well, private equity uh, is attracted because uh, it seems like. Uh, Easy money for them. Yeah, uh, they can either. Some people say double their money in the sense of they buy a firm for let's say nine times EBITDA, and now that the firm is integrated into a bigger firm that has all the scale and you know those advantages, theoretically that firm could be, that multiple could be twice as much. Uh, another way that it was, uh, it was put uh, is that the uh, time frame, uh, over a five-year time frame, uh, one analyst, uh, a private equity, uh, a guy who's worked with private equity, an investment banker, uh, uh, an RIA seller taking a portion of their consideration in equity can aspire to tripling the value of that equity uh, over five years. Uh, often they're receiving the equity on a tax deferred basis and 5 million equity at deal close can potentially be worth 15 million in five years. So that you know answers your question about the you know, tax deferred. 
And you know, that, that's certainly uh, uh, pretty good. Uh, the in, back to the, on the private equity side, the attraction for them, a very good internal rate of return. And uh, one valuation expert said, in a low yield environment, uh, this investment for them, getting into the RIA space, is the best coupon available <laughs> because it is both a growth and income play. Yeah, and you know one other thing that we've we've seen with especially a mass exodus from the wirehouses and people setting up RAAs is it's a largely still I mean we have these large players but there's still a ton of fragmentation in different parts of the country um, that that are happening and you know we have a lot of accountants that listen to the podcast because they're interested in getting into an advisory and maybe opening their own RIA. And one argument that we always try to tell them is that the value of them starting to get involved in that practice or starting their own RA down down the road um, might be a really wonderful way for them to increase the enterprise value of their overall firm. Because we've seen the accounting firm multiples maybe go in the opposite direction (laughs) as the RIA uh, multiples have been going up, given margin decreasing on the accounting side. Are you seeing, you know, I know you're covering a lot of M&A, but are you still seeing that growth of RIA form- formation coming into the market? Yes, absolutely. And that is often overlooked by, uh, frankly, you know, all the attention given to the M&A space and consolidation. It's kind of a barbell because yes, as we just discussed, big money is coming in and they're buying up firms. So, you know, that, that's happening for sure. But as you said, Rob, it's a very fragmented business and there is room for small advisors. Sure, they may not get to the big scale that the consolidators are aiming for. They don't have to. You know, if you're content with uh, building a good business in your local market, which can be a very good living, uh, people continue to do that. You can do that. There are over 13 thousand RIAs, a lot of them small. Yeah, most of the business, of course, 80-20 will go to the top 20%. But if you have a lifestyle practice, you can do very well. And even beyond that, as you mentioned, for enterprise, even on a more limited basis, you are definitely going to increase your enterprise value by getting into wealth management and you can make a good living. Yeah, I I totally agree. And kind of shifting topics here, uh, Charles, uh, you know, I know you wrote an article, the next FinTech disruptions. um, And you spoke, you spoke about cryptocurrencies and and blockchain technology uh, will continue to disrupt financial services. Can you kind of touch on, what you see the implications being uh, of those technologies? Machine learning and artificial intelligence 
are coming and it's really just a matter of how they will be applied uh we're seeing on the on the professional side starting with areas like compliance risk management investment selection also including uh different types of uh, investment strategies, asset management, a wide range of areas are going to be affected by machine learning and artificial intelligence, both from the business side and uh, impacting clients uh, and investors. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was really amazing when robo advisors came onto the scene. There was such a talk of the robo advisor taking the place of the advisor. Um, and it seems now, you know, we always talk about on the podcast, partnering with the robots, <laughs> not fighting them. Right. And, and right. it seems like the robots realized that adoption was going to take a little bit longer than what they thought. And they've changed, their, the robots have changed their tune now and uh, shifted gear to a lot of these services that you were just talking about, the compliance software, rebalancing software, intelligence software and, and and whatnot. And so, you know, both from the private equity side of the buyers, also from the new RIAs or the smaller firms that are looking to do uh, that, you know, we talk about the technological revolution that we're living in at the moment with software. Um, and that just seems to be accelerating um, quite, a, quite a lot. Um, you know, are you seeing um, any of these venture-backed tech solutions start to come into the M&A market at all? Or, and do you think that that may happen as well? Into the M&A market or the RIA market? Uh, no, into the M&A market. So things like Betterment or... Uh, oh, I see. I see what you're know, saying. These, these robo-advisors or technology solution, no. you know, we're seeing a few Vies is one that we've seen come into the market. You know, do these you th see them shifting their model into coming into the M&A market at all, or is no, it just different? Not yet. Haven't seen it yet. It may happen. I think the issue there is that they needed to consolidate in their own space, in their own vertical, their own silo. And right now, uh, the the major ones that have emerged are Wealthfront and Betterment. Uh, Crystal capital to a degree, but they're doing more and more human interface, as are the others to a degree. Uh, but they have not uh, entered the MA market yet. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. Um, and, you know, you've also mentioned in your articles, and we talked about it a little bit, about the cheapness of debt. And obviously, that is fueling. Every, all kinds of growth everywhere, right? Public markets, certainly in the private markets, and certainly on the M&A side. How sensitive do you think the M&A and the RAA space is to, um, is to interest rate uh, fluctuations and in the, in the cost of that debt? They are to a degree, not completely, because so much of the other stuff is also really good. So they'll continue to be in the market, even if, and really it's a matter of when, 
interest rates go up. Uh, but because you have these other uh, areas that are so favorable for uh, the uh, the buyers, you have sticky clients, you have recurring revenue, you have a growing business, you have high margins. There are so many areas that are so favorable, favorable uh, in favor of the RIA market itself that in a way, I think the interest rates are icing on the cake and they certainly are fueling the frenzy that we're seeing now i believe as of today the one the 10-year treasury is 1.6 which is still incredibly cheap uh it's likely that it will go up uh as uh, the fed has to deal with inflation as the fed moves away from accommodation uh, as the Fed as the Fed uh, finishes its its what they call tapering, it will go up. Not going to go up that much, so it's not going to have that much of an effect on the M and A market. And Charles, do you see this this frenzy uh, continuing through through twenty twenty two? This hot market. All indications are that it will, which doesn't mean that it will, <laughs> because you never know, right? You never know. Uh, obviously, the thing, the, 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 the most likely source of disruption would be a black swan type of event, something really bad that we, of course, don't want to see happen or think about. The, you know, war, depression, big recession, big upsurge, and, you know, the, the, the pandemic comes back. So, you know, bad stuff would certainly disrupt it. And it would also, of course, disrupt the stock market. And because one of the other reasons that RIAs are considered such a good business is because you know they get a free ride on the stock market. You know, if AUM goes up, I'm sorry, if the stock market goes up, AUM goes up because you get a they get a percentage. Now it's it's of course the opposite way as well. It's the other side of the coin. So if things go down, the market goes down, the value of uh, the assets and the value of the firms will go down. So I think. By all indications, if, if things stay relatively normal, the party should go on, but you never know. <laughs> that totally makes sense. Well, Charles, we really, really uh, appreciate you coming on to the uh, podcast today. If our audience has more inquiries about Charles, we'll list you know all of your information on the show notes. Um, if people are interested in college basketball, you can find his book, Madness, the 10 Most Memorable NCAA Basketball Finals on Amazon, of which the Bruins are one. Thank you very much, Carl. Um, so, you know, Charles, really, really appreciate your time. We're huge fans and we're really looking forward to uh, continuing to follow you in the future and hope to have you on. 
Thanks very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. Hopefully UCLA and Syracuse can meet in the uh, the tournament. <laughs> oh, that would be a good final. That would be great. <laughs> All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office, LLC, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.